0: Welcome to the Fertility Podcast.
1: Welcome to episode six of the Fertility Podcast. If you've listened to all the previous episodes, thank you so much. I hope it's been interesting. If this is the first episode that you have had a listen to, the Fertility Podcast is a bi-weekly podcast with interviews from fertility experts as well as real-life stories from people on their own fertility journey. 3.5 million people in the UK are affected by fertility issues. And the point of this podcast is to give the information in a really straight and direct way, is for you to have a place that you can hear others who might be going through the same thing as you. and Maybe you yourself want to tell your story. If there's an expert that you are desperate to kind of ask some questions to, then maybe I can be the go-between. Now, we've been going a month. The response has been brilliant, but the Fertility Podcast really needs you to get on the case and subscribe at fertilitypodcast.com. Also, you can leave a review in iTunes or Stitcher, so please do. We've got some really interesting stories coming up. Two women, Kate Bryan and Jessica Hepburn, both established bloggers, both with their own fertility stories, Both actually diagnosed with unexplained infertility and you'll be astounded when they just go into the detail of how many of us are affected by that diagnosis. Unexplained fertility as a reason as to why you can't start a family. One of the hardest things to deal with because it just doesn't make any sense. So first up is Kate talking about her books, about the work she does with the Infertility Network and how she feels infertility issues are perceived today. Now I'm afraid there's a little bit of a sound issue with my interview with Kate, so just bear with me, hopefully it won't happen again, but I apologise if you have to kind of play around just a little bit with your volume, I blame technology. So welcome to episode 6 of the Fertility Podcast and it gives me great pleasure to get to chat to Kate Bryan, author of several books uh, in pursuit of Parenthood, her second book, Complete Guide to Female Fertility, and her third book, The Complete Guide to IVF. And I'm going to bring Kate in at this point before I talk any more about her. Uh, Kate, welcome to the Fertility Podcast.
2: Thank you. Thank you for inviting me to be here.
1: Well, I was really interested in talking with you with regards to not only the work you're doing and the books that you've written, but you have come to this point from your own fertility journey, haven't you?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that, you know, it was one of those things for me, it was such a huge experience finding that I couldn't get pregnant and going through the whole thing of treatment. And it altered my life so much and it changed my outlook so much, I think, that I ended up kind of completely transforming my life as a result of that one experience. And I think that does happen sometimes to people. You know, it does have a really huge impact on your life, sometimes in ways that you wouldn't necessarily have imagined.
1: Because one of the things that I'm keen to get across with the different conversations that we have on the Fertility Podcast is you do presume that having a family naturally is a given and then when you're faced with the fact that it might not be, like you say, it's it immense, isn't it?
2: It is absolutely immense and I think what makes it really difficult is, you know, I, mean, I was 30 when I started trying to get pregnant and all of a sudden all of my friends as if everyone decided one week that they would get pregnant almost and so all around me people seemed to be getting pregnant and every week the number of people who were either still trying or didn't want a baby or weren't there yet seemed to get smaller and smaller and I felt as if everyone's worlds were changing and everyone was moving on and people were going on maternity leave at work and i was just stuck in the same position and i didn't want to make any big life changes you know i didn't want to apply for another job i didn't want to even go on holiday sometimes because i kept thinking oh maybe in two months time i'll be pregnant and i won't want to do that and all the time it's this weird kind of balancing act almost that you're playing in your head between sort of daring to hope that maybe it might happen and at the same time feeling totally despondent and starting to wonder whether you're ever, ever going to achieve your dreams.
1: Now, you are now mum of two. And your son, am I right, you, you conceived after three cycles of IVF?
2: It was, actually, it was actually two. I had a frozen cycle in between, so it was my second full cycle. Okay.
1: Yes. And then your daughter was also through IVF?
2: Yeah, yeah, she was a frozen embryo. <laughs> um,
1: and you, however, were diagnosed with unexplained infertility, is that right?
2: Yeah, and I think In a way, that's something that can sometimes make it quite difficult because I know that I thought I blamed everything under the sun for it. You know, I thought it was my lifestyle. I was a television journalist at the time, so I had quite a hectic career, I suppose. And I thought, oh, it must be that. You know, if only I was working less. So I cut down my hours at work. I started to change my lifestyle and nothing made any difference. I think one of the really difficult things about unexplained infertility is that you kind of start to assume it must be something that you're doing if doctors can't find out why you're not getting pregnant. And, you know... I have never got pregnant naturally in the years that I've been at home with my children on maternity leave, you know, being totally relaxed and totally laid back and eating really healthy. I have never got pregnant naturally. It's just something that doctors haven't found that's obviously a problem for us. And I think that can be the really difficult thing with unexplained infertility. You know, it's not your fault. It's probably absolutely nothing that you're doing. It's just something that doctors haven't managed yet to discover. And I I think that can be immensely difficult to get your head around. That and to kind of accept that it's not you, it's something else.
1: How then did you accept it? Because you have, and your mindset must have changed in order for you to then carry on and go through the fertility treatment.
2: You know, it is a matter of just realising that this is what you have to do if you want to have a baby. And I remember a friend of mine when I first started sort of vaguely thinking that maybe we'd have to have IVF saying, Oh, but you you wouldn't want to do that, would you? Thinking, Well I'd do anything. I'd do absolutely anything you know, and and it does get to that point where you are so focused that you would do anything, you would try anything, you will turn over every single stone that you can in order to get to the point that you want to get to and I think most people, many people start to feel that way about it.
1: I'm going to talk more about some of the blog posts that you've written with regards to NHS funding and health and well-being, but just because you were self-funded is that right?
2: yeah I was when we had our treatment I mean it was a long time ago obviously my son is 17 now and when we started treatment one of the problems wasn't so much we were we would would have been able to have one cycle of NHS funded treatment but the problem was that there was more than a year's waiting list to access treatment and I just got to the point where I couldn't wait and the waiting was driving me insane and at that point going privately, you know, paying for your treatment in an NHS hospital was actually really not so expensive. It cost us a thousand pounds for our cycle. So we decided that we would pay, and we did, and and got pregnant. We I was actually pregnant by the time my NHS cycle finally came around. So it shows how how long that wait would have been. It was longer than a year.
1: So Mark Aborn, I feel like we should move on to the different discussions that you you've you've written about, and I know that you speak at all sorts of different events with regards to what can be called the postcode lottery, which was just discussed just the other week with Radio 4 on you and yours about the cost that the NHS are paying for the IVF cycle um, and then the difference in what treatment is available for people. Just tell me a bit about what because you were working with the Fertility Fairness campaign group weren't you? That
2: right and fertility fairness is a a wonderful organisation that is trying to highlight some of these problems and get something done about it because you know it is completely wrong that your access to treatment should depend entirely on where you live and whatever people might feel about NHS funding for fertility treatment I don't think anyone would think it's a good idea that whether you can access it depends on which road you happen to live in what your postcode is and it literally does come down to that you know there are some parts of the country where people on one side of a road won't get treatment and people on another side will. unbelievable wrong it's absolutely wrong and one of the other things when fertility fairness started looking into this to find out more about how exactly funding was working across the country and discovered how patchy it is one of the other things that they asked the commissioners was how much they were paying for a cycle of treatment and what they discovered which i found really really shocking was that some commissioners were paying more than twice as much as others for each cycle of ivf that they were paying for and that's how much the nhs is nhs is paying so there's no clarity, there's no one price that the NHS pays no matter where you are in the country, which has a huge impact, obviously, on the amount of treatment that they can pay for and it seems absolutely insane that they don't know how much a cycle of ivf ought to be costing and that people are paying different amounts of money for it and what we discovered was a lot of them are paying more than someone would pay walking off the street and going into a private fertility clinic and considering they're buying in bulk it does seem quite extraordinary that they haven't managed to negotiate better deals i suppose for want of a better expression to, to actually make ivf more affordable for the nhs
1: because we spoke with Susan Seenan from Infertility Network UK in episode two of the Fertility Podcast, and we talked, we talked about this and the the unfairness of, for example, the, the postcode lottery as one aspect of it. Um, and she talked about how they have templates of letters with regards to you being able to lobby your CCG and your MP. Um, and am I right in that there's a petition with the work that you're doing with Fertility Fairness, or is it again yeah. that kind of lobbying method that you're advising people that they can go down.
2: There was a petition in York because the CCC there acted in the most peculiar way, having not funded treatment for years. They then decided that they would fund one cycle of treatment, much to everyone living in York needing fertility treatment's delight. And then just a few weeks later, they changed their minds again and said, oh no, actually, we've decided we can't afford this after all. And estimated that it was going to cost them around, I think it was £2 million to treat 100, just over 100 patients with one cycle of IVF. Wow. The the most expensive IVF in the country. Um, They then said that they were being misquoted um, there, but they had actually put that figure on their own website. So I don't see quite how that was misquoting. But there was a petition about that in particular. But I mean, in general, I think, yes, definitely, you know, do write to your MP do lobby your CCG don't just accept what they say do you know you might not be able to make a difference in your individual cycle but you can certainly make a difference in terms of raising awareness and in terms of moving things forward for the future
1: interviews
2: with fertility experts the fertility podcast. You mentioned that your
1: son was born 17 years ago. How do you feel after your fertility journey and all the work that you've done and what we've just discussed, that fertility issues are being addressed and and dealt with today, 2014? Obviously, we know there are still ridiculous issues, but on the plus side...
2: I think people do talk about it more now. And I think IVF is much more acceptable now. I mean, obviously it is, you know, there are more treatment cycles carried out. There are more IVF babies being born. When he was born, it was still a bit unusual and it was still something that people sort of went, ooh, when you told them. Mm. Now, I don't think it's quite like that. I think it's more like, oh, right, okay. And people just, you know, it, it's something that people accept.
1: People have a friend who's had it. Everyone has a story, don't yeah. they?
2: Oh, absolutely. And I don't think everyone did have a friend who'd done it then. I think, you know, there were some people who knew people but it wasn't quite as talked about. I think the downside of that is that everyone has an opinion and some of them are very ill informed opinions and that can be quite a difficult thing to deal with. And I think the other thing that can be harder is that you know when I did it there was no information about it at all about what it was like to be as a patient going through IVF there was very little support available in terms of there there weren't loads of complementary therapists offering help and lots of people offering advice and lots of well there wasn't websites we didn't have the internet at home then so your access to information was very limited which is why I started writing about it in the first place I think now sometimes we almost have too much information and when it's the right information and it's good information that's really helpful but I think there is some information out there which is sometimes less than helpful and i think people can get terribly worried about things that they're doing or not doing when probably they don't necessarily need to and i think sometimes reading other people's stories is very helpful but sometimes it can be not quite so helpful and i think you know there has to be a balance with that and i don't know that we've got it i think we've gone a bit too far the other way if that makes sense Mm
1: There's different areas uh, of support. We mentioned um, Infertility Network UK in episode two. Our chat with Susan Seenan on the Fertility Podcast is one that um, people should listen to. I know that you work with those guys. And also the Fertility Show, which is episode five. Jonathan Scott was talking about their amazing speakers and just all the different kind of information that you've got under one roof. And I know that you're also involved with that event. Um, I had a look at your events page on your website. It looks like you're on tour With all the different places that you speak, the kind of experiences that you've witnessed of people coming to these support groups and these different days that Infertility Network might do or events like The Fertility Show. Just talk to me a bit about what you'd say people are getting out of coming to them when there is information overload and it can be overwhelming.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think that the huge advantage of The Fertility Show is that you have most of the uk's fertility experts leading fertility experts under one roof speaking over a period of two days so if you want to find out about anything the most reliable and the most up-to-date information you will find it there and there is opportunity to talk to the people individually afterwards there's opportunity to talk to the clinics that are exhibiting there and to ask them questions about how they do things and you know what kind of treatments they offer and I think just from that point of view being at something like the fertility show is a huge huge advantage you know at the same time in Patricity network UK offers really reliable information and I think that's the important thing is to find those sources of really good solid reliable information to use as your base to use as your grounding and the thing I find about the support groups, I must say, I don't actually go to every single one of those support groups. That's just a list. Of That's ones. a relief.
1: I was slightly concerned about your welfare.
2: I would be, yes, on a permanent pain. Yes. I think the thing about support groups is everyone thinks, oh, I'm not the sort of person who goes to a support group, and yet everyone who actually goes to one thinks, oh my goodness, that was so helpful. And I think just being with other people who understand, just talking to other people who know what you're going through. You should never underestimate how helpful that can be because I think one of the most damaging things about having a fertility problem is that feeling of loneliness and isolation. And just knowing there are other people out there who understand exactly how you feel and who are going through similar things can be incredibly helpful. You know, there are 3.5 million people at any time in the UK experiencing fertility problems, and yet often when it's it us, we feel really lonely. Mm-hmm tell other people we don't always find it easy to talk about and I think just being with other people who do understand it, it can be hugely beneficial I
1: must confess uh, a friend of mine when I was going through fertility treatment who had also been through it said to me to be wary of support groups because of the negative stories that you hear of people who have gone through who have had failed cycles and for that reason personally I didn't go to an actual support group I sought the information online and I did have some people I could talk to so from that if there is that maybe that incorrect you know, perception what would you say to that
2: I think that is incorrect because i would actually i would actually put it the other way around i would say that reading things online you are far more likely to come across negative stories than you are yeah. being in a support group which is normally moderated by someone and yes obviously you do get people who are still going through treatment and so you know everyone is still crying in the support group and on the whole once people get pregnant they stop going to the support group but it doesn't make it a negative thing. I think there's a lot to be gained from picking other people's brains about what they found helpful and sharing tips, sharing advice. And actually, you know the most amazing thing about support groups? I have never, ever been to a support group where we didn't laugh at one point. And yeah. realising that, you know, sometimes it's so awful that it's actually quite funny funnily awful and that sounds dreadful but you know being able to laugh about it is a huge step forward and and that nearly always happens in support groups it's incredible actually that as we develop this very strange sense of humor about things but actually that is really a, a real sort of strengthening thing a real positive thing that i think you don't get by talking to people online in quite the same way and is there an imbalance of women to men I think that depends on the group. On the whole, more women go than men go, but men are welcome to certainly all of the Infinity Network UK support group. You know, there are women who come without their partners. There aren't so many men who come without their partners, but I have actually had one support group where a man came a couple of times by himself, so it's not completely unheard of. I think. Women tend to want to talk about things more than men do on the whole with something like this. So I think on the whole there probably are women, but it's not exclusively women by any stretch of the imagination.
1: Well, we're going to put all details of your blog, Kate, fertilitymatters.org.uk, on the show notes as well as the list of all the events, of which there are still a number coming up. There's a couple more points I just want to touch on with regard to some of your recent blog posts. Okay, and another factor that I know you talk a lot uh, about with regards to your blog is the kind of health and well-being side. And there was something interesting you'd written about, an Italian study, I think it was, uh, with regards to vitamin D levels. When it comes to supplements, um, is that is that proven or is that being looked into more?
2: I think, an area where there's an awful lot of advice and I mean I often highlight things on my blog that are kind of you know the latest piece of research on something and often try to put that into context because I think one of the really difficult things about being a fertility patient now is it seems that every other week there's some new advice and you know you could drive yourself completely bonkers trying to you know eat more pineapples one week and less I don't know bacon the next you know you could it it just could completely dominate your life if you're not careful and I think it is important to keep these things in context and yes you know I think probably a multivitamin never does anyone any harm but I think you need to be slightly wary of getting into a situation where you are letting trying to get pregnant dominate every single area of your life and making things very miserable for yourself because I have some people who have become so focused that you know actually they stop enjoying life at all they stop having fun because oh, I can't do this and I can't do that and I must do more of this and I shouldn't be doing this and I should be doing that in reality you know it's it might make you feel better but if it doesn't make you feel better then i'm not entirely sure that there's necessarily any point in completely transforming your life yes you want to lead a healthy life you don't want to be smoking and you know drinking the excess. but at the same time having a glass of wine occasionally eating a piece of chocolate now and again is not going to stop you getting pregnant and i think it's important to keep all of those things in context and not to get too worried and too alarmed about what you're doing because you know for most people it's feeling good about yourself that is the most important thing when you go into that and that's what's going to help you know if you feel positive if you feel fit if you feel healthy that's marvelous But if you're doing things that are making you utterly miserable there's really no point you know i've spoken to someone once who was doing acupuncture because she was convinced that she needed to do acupuncture as well as her ivf in order to get pregnant but she had a needle phobia (laughs) and she had to herself to go there and she felt dreadful afterwards. She hated every moment going to acupuncture. And I said, you know, if this isn't making you feel better, then I'm really not sure it's a good idea for you to be spending lots of money on this. Find something that relaxes you, that you actually enjoy more and do that instead. And I think sometimes we do have this idea that we must do everything. Mm. You know, it, it it doesn't have to be like that.
1: It's so true, I actually was talking with a friend of mine who's just started her drugs for her treatment and she'd had her first session of acupuncture after I'd actually suggested she was doing reflexology before, and she'd gone into it having had a really awful day, she hadn't had a very good experience actually um, with the clinic that she was at, and it had really thrown her because she's self-funding. And she went to the acupuncturist who's a specialist for IVF treatment, and actually said it was remarkable. She came out so much happier. So there's both sides of it, isn't there? Yeah. In that they can be beneficial. What can be beneficial for one might not be for another.
2: But it's about finding what suits you. And yeah. What- you happy and I mean I think acupuncture is great and a lot of people really benefit from it but if it's not for you don't feel that you have to do it just because everyone else is you know I think that's the important thing to to try to get across to people it's about what makes you feel better it's about what helps you and don't feel that you have to do everything especially if there are things that are making you really unhappy you know it's all about balance at the end of the day and getting a balance in your life is what's really important and you know being fit and healthy yes but not making your life an absolute misery
1: now i was going to ask as i like to at the end of the fertility podcast kate for a tip um you've just given quite a good one there with the balance and finding what's right for you but is there anything else any tips that you would offer
2: i think there are a few things you can do i think informing yourself is really empowering i think you know understanding as much as you can about what's going to happen can make you feel more in control because one of the difficulties is that kind of loss of control so i think You know, knowing more about what's happening can really help. And I think seeking out support can really help as well. And obviously everyone wants support differently. Not everyone is going to want to come along to a support group. But do try to find something that helps you, whether it's going to counselling, which can be hugely beneficial, whether it's going to a complementary therapist, whether it's going to a support group, whether it's ringing up, you know, someone at INUK and having a chat. All of those things can be really beneficial. And I think getting some support to help you through this is really 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 useful you know you can't underestimate how difficult it can be and people often think that they ought to be coping better than they are and that they're getting too stressed by it you know this is a really stressful situation it will cause anyone stress so try to do what you can to help yourself and I think the other thing I'd say is you know be kind to yourself and accept that this is difficult and try to find the things that you can that you know you still enjoy that you can do And, and also keep talking to your partner as well that's another thing I think that's very important you know try to keep communicating if you can stay together as a unit people who go through this often emerge from the other side feeling much stronger so I think all of those are really important things to keep in mind
1: brilliant tips Kate thank you so much for your time
2: thank you and
1: we're going to put details of the blog on the show notes for the fertilitypodcast.com which will be forward slash episode 6 in the show notes and of course um, there's links to your books of which there are three. Are there plans for another?
2: There is another one. There is a fourth. Um, the fourth book is um, actually about pregnancy, birth and parenting after infertility. It's called Precious Babies. So that's the one for when you're successful.
1: Okay. Kate, thank you. Thank you. If you have any questions or a story you'd like to share, please email questions at thefertilitypodcast.com. So make sure you check the show notes for all the details of how you can get in touch with Kate and uh, sign up for her blog, which is a brilliant read. There will also be details of all of Kate's books. And next up is Jessica Hepburn, who is yet to start a family. Jessica has an unbelievable story of true perseverance on her mission to have a biological child. I'll let her explain because this is one heck of a story. So this is episode six of the Fertility Podcast and we're getting real-life stories in this episode. We've already spoken with Kate Bryan and now I'm going to welcome Jessica Hepburn, author of The Pursuit of Motherhood, which is also the name of her blog. Jessica, welcome to the Fertility Podcast. Thanks. you for having me. Well it's our second attempt but I'm I'm quite pleased that hopefully technology won't fail us. Jessica if I can ask you to tell me about your story because it is a remarkable story that's almost a decade long of of your fertility journey.
0: Absolutely and it does seem like a long time ago but I was 34 uh, when we first started trying for a baby. I, I didn't think that was particularly late at all. I was very much of the generation that was sort of brought up to believe that we should go to school, go to university, start our careers, kiss a few frogs before we settle down. And it wasn't until till I reached my sort of early, mid-30s, I really started to think about having a family. I thought that was the perfect age. And me and my partner, I think we made the decision, it was Christmas Day. We really thought it was going to happen very quickly, because I think another thing you're told as a teenager is that the moment you have unprotected sex, you're going to get pregnant yeah. But of course, it's actually quite a complicated process. So we started to try and at first we weren't too worried. But then after around about a year, which is if you read about conception, that it, things do say that it can take up to a year of trying before you get pregnant. But it must have been around about a year. We, we did start to get worried and, and we made the decision to go uh, to a fertility clinic to have some tests. Was we that
1: in, instead of your doctor? Did you go straight to a specific place?
0: Yeah, we did, actually. The reason being, I, I have a very full-on job. And to be honest, I thought, well, OK, it'll be 100 quid for an initial consultation. We'll get seen quickly. And, uh, you know, we'll be able to sort of work out when the appointment is most convenient to fit into our busy lives. How did you I mean, know I where had, to go? What I mean, I always say I, I didn't choose it in the right way because I chose the clinic, which was based at the hospital where I was born in London. And that was basically my decision. I thought, that was where I was born... Sort of, I came out okay. We'll okay. go there, makes sense. and it was an NHS clinic. And it actually probably would have been a clinic I would have been referred to because I was still living in the same area. It, it, you know, and we did go. We did go and see our doctor, but it was clearly going to take quite a while. And by that time, we were starting. You know, we're starting to get worried. So we had the initial test, and we were diagnosed with unexplained infertility, which affects around about they say twenty five percent of couples facing. Uh, um uh having difficulty conceiving um and and in my opinion is really one of the hardest um diagnoses to to face because on the surface everything looks like it's working really well and there's no no, sort of understood reason why you're not getting pregnant you know it's worth saying that there is so much about fertility that we still do not understand you know IVF has become a ubiquitous treatment for so many couples but it was invented for a very specific reason which is women who have blocked fallopian tubes and so that their eggs can't pass through their ovaries into the fallopian tubes where they get fertilized and then into the womb and that that wasn't the problem with us and in fact that's not the problem with a lot of people who are, are experiencing trouble conceiving now but of course IVF is the treatment that is often prescribed very very quickly and that diagnosis then really began what has become a sort of decade long journey to try and conceive our own biological child I think we've carried on for as long as we have because we do seem to be able to get pregnant so we've had several miscarriages we've had an ectopic pregnancy that wasn't discovered until very late and doctors have kept telling us and we've been to lots of different clinics since that first clinic And they kept saying, um, you know, keep trying, it will happen. Um, But obviously what is happening now is the longer that you carry on, the the more you add age into the equation. And of course age is a a significant factor in fertility as well. Although I think it's really important not to scaremonger, and there is quite a lot of scaremongering going on at the moment um, about women leaving it too late and The optimum time to have a baby is in your mid-twenties, probably. Um, But it doesn't mean that you can't conceive in your thirties or early forties. But what it does mean is that if you um, have problems conceiving, then you really are in a race against time to sort it out. So at what point did you start
1: documenting what was going on? Was it the blog first, then the book? Or was it the book, then the blog?
0: No, it was the book. And then it was quite a long way in. I, I've never written anything before. I mean, I write reports for work, but I, I've never done any creative writing as such. But I think what drove was a couple of things. Firstly, I, I I couldn't find that much that was written, certainly in book form, on the experiences living with infertility i also thought that we had quite a good story you know it was full of sort of highs and lows and i genuinely thought when i started writing that i was going to write my way to a sort of conventional happy ending and the reality is that when i got to the end of the book and i stopped writing for a very particular reason which if you read the book you'll understand um that it is open-ended it's certainly not the end of my journey um but what I discovered was a love of writing and it was a very cathartic process on the one hand and I would encourage, you know, anyone going through this, you know, to, to find a way of expressing it. It might be in writing or another sort of creative form. But I, I also sort of genuinely just discovered a love of writing and suddenly I had a book and it was coming out and, and then I started to write this blog and I, I now uh, write a short blog every Sunday which kind of support the book I suppose.
1: And one of the blog posts that you had written you'd referred to it as being addicted to IVF. Can you just explain a bit more about that mindset that you found yourself in?
0: Yeah I mean we have been through many rounds both fresh and frozen. I think it is it does become a form of addiction. I think the difference is that with an addiction of drugs and alcohol it kind of, it never ends. You, you always need that next fix. Um, not not that i 've ever been i don 't addicted to drugs and alcohol, but you know that that you you 're constantly chasing something that you can never achieve and 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 you know I, I hope I believe that if we had been successful and we 'd had a baby you know we may have wanted another one after that um, but that, that ultimately you know once the prize had been won, we would have stopped but where I think the addiction comes in is this thing that i 've just mentioned which is you do feel you're on a a race against the clock yeah and it's not like oh well i want to buy a new car i want to buy a new house you know and i'll save up and you know it doesn't matter if that happens in to to some extent it doesn't matter if that happens in three years or five years or ten years you know you can you can work towards those things but with fertility you know you are you you have a very limited time frame and you become very very conscious that every day that passes you're losing ground and and i think that's the other Thing that sort of drives this sort of um, desperation, and it and it becomes like a, a like an addiction. I, you know, it certainly did, did for us, and we spent an enormous amount of money. We've remortgaged our house, we've taken out bank loans, we've borrowed money for friends and family, and we will be paying back that money for many many years to come. And I always say very quickly that I don't regret it. I don't regret it because you know whatever happens. You know, I really wanted to have a biological baby and do want to have my own biological baby with the man that I love. And that is a very natural instinct for women and men to feel. Um, And so many people around us find it so easy. And so, you know, I hope that people understand that even though it's not a life-threatening condition, it does become, you know, a real need and drive if you can't have it.
2: A place for women
1: and men to share and hear stories about the fertility journey. Well, when we spoke to Susan Seenan um, in episode two uh, from the Infertility Network UK, she said that with regards to the World Health Organization, infertility is classed as an illness. So you have every right to want to have treatment and every right to consider it as a something that deserves the recognition and and the, the the seriousness and i think that's part of the perception is that people don't realize people think oh you know give it time and there's there's obviously now much more awareness about ivf but there's still not the awareness of that it doesn't necessarily work in that it's not a quick fix and that's something that we've just spoken with zeta west with uh, episode four she talks about the quick fix that if women are leaving it later because their careers are taking off they're almost relying on it being an option what would you say to to people who and i'm not i'm not wanting you to say no don't do this don't do that because everybody finds the right time you know when they're when they're ready to start a family but from your experience now being in your early 40s and knowing what you know because I know you talk about the absurd lengths you've gone to understand your infertility if people are thinking I don't need to because there's always IVF and I've got the money I you know if I can't if it doesn't happen I can pay for it what, what would what would your advice be for if you've got that kind of mindset
0: I think it's really important that people understand the facts about IVF which are that two-thirds of cycles are not successful. I mean, in fact, I was at an event on Saturday for Infertility Network UK where I was speaking, where one of the experts um, that was there said, considering the amount of money and time that has gone into advances in this technology, it's kind of terrible how little the success rates have improved since the treatment was invented, you know, in this country 30 years ago. So I, I do think it's really important that people understand that IVF isn't a magic bullet as it were, but equally it's also really important to understand that um you know it can take a little while to get pregnant naturally so um you know i think i think the statistics are something like you have a 15% chance you know if every, if everything is working you have a 15% chance of getting pregnant every month, which is why experts say that you need to leave a year. I think what probably is happening that because women are leaving it later because they're sort of focusing on their careers in their 20s and because there is a lot of talk around women's fertility, they are perhaps going and seeking treatment earlier than they might need to. But I do think that's also understandable because I also go back to what I've said, which is that, you know, if you do discover that you've got some sort of problem and, you know, this is a very complex area and there are lots of different issues, some of which I don't think we understand yet. But if you do discover that you, you and your partner have got a problem, then time becomes a, a massive fact because actually going through the IVF process, you know, does it, it takes time. Yeah. You know, most people are only going through it, you know, once, twice, three times—if they're lucky—a year. You know, there's often quite a lot of variables that sort of slow the process down. So it's a, it's a really complex thing. But the one thing that I do say is that I think it's really important that people understand the natural fertility life cycle and make their decisions on—you uh, know—with that that full knowledge. I think it's important that people understand the IVF isn't a quick fix or a magic bullet and i think people need to also understand that going back to what you were saying about infertility being illness because you know there are some people that think if the IVF shouldn't be given on the national health and you know as you say people just relax and get on with it and it will happen there are huge effects on people's mental health who are going through this and it is still a relative taboo subject both within families and in circles of friends particularly if you're surrounded by people who have had children that's very very difficult to deal with if you're going through this and I think there needs to be much more focus to help women through who are going through this process who might be successful you know quickly or further down the line or who might not be successful because the other really important thing to say is that there are the numbers of women going into their 40s childless now for a whole range of reasons medical infertility is one of them but not meeting the right partner is another is increasing they think it's around 25 percent now so this is a massive social phenomena of our time yeah um that, that, that we need to have more
1: conversation around as Was a society. Zita's talked as well about the increase in the number of women-only workshops that she's now holding, which you can hear Zita's chat in, in episode four of the of the Fertility Podcast. Um, we, we've talked about women, and I want to just talk about men, because I know yeah. that you talked in your blog about the, the follower that you found on, that, that started following you on Twitter, MakeFertCon. They're now following me also on Twitter, and I am going to be having a conversation with them. It's a campaign to provide better support for men experiencing infertility, because what also I think people don't understand and know as much about is the the amount of men affected with poor sperm health, which Zita actually talks about, and I'm just interested to know with regards to your partner how vocal he's been about his feelings or whether you know he's spoken well, obviously you're going to know, whether he's spoken with his, his peers or whether it's really just you that he talks about how he feels about what's been going on. Because I know from from the experience I went through with, with my partner, um, I was the person that my partner spoke to. Men are much more reluctant. And that's part of what make Fert cons campaign is, is to, to improve the treatment of male infertility. Because that, I think, is really still taboo. Do you agree?
0: I totally agree. I totally agree. And I think it is really difficult for men because whilst it is still, you know, to some extent a taboo subject amongst women, if you go online, you you know, you will find so many women uh, talking about what they're going through, talking uh, to each other. And of course, women are well known for talking to their close friends in a way about their feelings and what they're going through in a way that perhaps men don't. So I think it's amazing that, you know, individuals and campaigns like this are coming forward. I mean, with regards to me and my partner, I mean, we are both we are both incredibly private people um, and for years didn't talk to anyone really about what we were going through and I have made the decision to go public on our story and that's been very much my decision and I uh, and and I've not involved him in, in that at his choice and respecting his choice it would be brilliant if more men could come forward and I think again just referring to the event that I was at on Saturday really interesting um, again another expert was talking particularly about male infertility um, and of and uh, and actually saying that they that it's possible that a lot of the um uh, the, the, the lot of the reasons for unexplained infertility are to do to do with male factors that are not fully understood yet um and that whereas there's a lot of focus on women's age that men's age um actually is much more important than was initially thought about wow.
2: um
0: and and I I think I think there's going to be and and this is and this actually sort of relates to another thing about the whole fertility process which which is very unequal which is that there is so much focus on the woman it's all about the treatment to the woman all you know men are just expected to sort of go into a you know a a broom cupboard and masturbate it and that's their, that's them over with and actually you know i i do think we will see and we need to see, uh, you know, men's involvement in the fertility process increasing because I think a lot of the factors may be related to men that are not fully understood yet. And also, you know, it's, it's terrible for them too. It's not... Just uh, a, an emotional experience for women. It's terrible for men too.
1: And we've actually got in episode seven the blogger called Wannabe Dad, uh, as well as hopefully the Make Foot Con guys and Alan Pacey, who might be one of the experts that you you were talking about, who specialises in looking at issues affecting male infertility. And I, I really kind of hope it encourages more guys to to, to either tell their story or, or see that the podcast is a place that they can, you know, they can hear about other guys because to not have anybody to talk to when something like this happens in your world is full on and to yeah. to be able to just have a have a have a someone even if it's someone you don't actually get to meet but someone online um because I think and that's hopefully what we're we're getting across with people like yourselves telling your story and um all the other stories that we get to tell people actually understand that this has a massive effect on how you are with your with your peers with your your colleagues with your family because it's not something you want to talk about Now, finally, before I let you go, just talk to me about the blog post you wrote about fur babies.
0: (laughs) Oh, fur babies. Um, Yeah, well, I've heard this phrase for a while. Fur babies is having a baby with fur. So a cat or a dog or a rabbit or tarantula, who knows? I, I have this image of myself sort of, you know, in this farmhouse with Children and and lots of animals, which is kind of like it's a dream because it's so far from the reality of my life. And and then I suddenly realised, well, if you can't have the children, why why can't you have the animals instead? But there is this weird thing that fertility treatment does to you, which is you do feel like your life's on hold, um, and that you know you're waiting for this thing to start, and your life can't start properly, and all the things you want for your life, including pet, can't come along um, and t- until you, you've got the babies in place. I actually was really struck by a lot of women who have said that the pets in their life have really helped them through uh, the heartache of uh, infertility. So yes, I wrote a blog about it, and uh, someone wrote to me and told me about this site called BorrowMyDoggy.com, where yes. you can. I've signed up. Yep. Oh yeah. Well, I've got, I haven't yet, but I've got to do it. And also, I've heard about these things called cat cafes, <laughs> where you can go and have a cream tea, and then you can pet a cat for the afternoon. So can't actually have a pet, which I think is really helpful in the process, then you can borrow a pet. Um, but the, all the evidence suggests that if you are a pet lover or an animal lover, that a fur baby could be not a substitute, but could help the process.
1: Well, I don't know if I want a cat trying to cough up a furball whilst I'm having a scone. But um, the Borough My Doggy site, I've signed up. I'm yet to actually action it. But I tell you, my friend who had several failed cycles, they then got a puppy and they then got pregnant. Um, So sometimes, you know, it can put it out to the universe and set the balls in motion, so to speak. Jessica, thank you so much you for telling welcome. us your story now we can follow you on twitter at Jessica Pursuit, capital j capital p and i'm going to put all the details of your blog and your book in the show notes um and are you doing any any talks anytime soon that we can look out for you on
0: yeah i'm actually speaking at the fertility show at olympia um on the 1st and 2nd of november so that that's my next big event where I'm talking about how to manage your fertility clinic uh, which um, after all my experience is something I know a lot about.
1: (laughs) Well we actually have Jonathan Scott the managing director of the fertility show in episode five so uh, if you haven't yet listened to Jonathan talk about all the amazing seminars go and download that and then you can go and see Jessica Tuck at the fertility show because Jonathan's actually given us discount codes for the show which are in the show notes for his podcast so Jessica, I'll leave it there. Thank you so much again. Good luck with the chats. Enjoy the fertility show. So there you have it. Two amazing women who are doing so much work. They both are involved with the Infertility Network UK. Both Kate and Jessica are giving seminars at The Fertility Show. If you're going to The Fertility Show, do have a listen to episode five. Jonathan Scott talks about all that's going on there. The show notes for episode five, which are thefertilitypodcast.com forward slash episode five, have a discount code for The Fertility Show. There's a lot of information that both Jessica and Kate have shared, and I really hope that it's food for thoughts and and hopefully has answered questions and both of them reiterated how important getting support when you're going through fertility treatment is so if that's the one thing you take away from this podcast if you're desperate to talk to someone and if you haven't yet reached out then what harm is there we'll put all the details of infertility network uk who both kate and jessica are very involved with on the show notes check out the show notes for this podcast fertilitypodcast.com forward slash episode six it is really easy do sign up at the website also please do leave a review on itunes or stitcher however you found me it makes such a difference and it just helps get the word out there and if you want to follow me on twitter at fertility Poddy. so until the next time if you have any questions
0: or a story you'd like to share please email questions at the fertilitypodcast.com.